Hello, 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 and welcome to Built on Hope, a podcast dedicated to competitive Imperial Assault. I'm your host, Isaac, and in this episode, over the last couple of weeks, we have had the Vassal Seasonal Tournaments for the beginning of the approved season for Season 4 competitive play. They have been going very interestingly. We've seen what the winners are for all the different events, and there has been a figure that we just couldn't help but notice has been featured in all of the top performing lists. That is none other than Dark Sibamore. So in this episode, I thought we would bring on everyone who has won an event with Dark Saber Mall. So unfortunately, Dave and just couldn't make it this week. However, there is a brief new segment which will be coming up right here. All right, everyone. So we haven't had an episode in a while, so there's actually quite a lot of news to get through. One of the biggest pieces of news is that Atomic Mass Games takes over Star Wars Miniatures Games. So the development of Star Wars X-Wing, Armada, and Legion are moving from FFG to Asmodee's Miniatures Games Focus Studio in Seattle. And this also includes development of all future Miniatures Games will also be handled by Atomic Mass Games as well. So all of the announcements will be linked in the show notes. Current and upcoming event. So this might have already passed. It's likely that it has just passed when this episode releases. But IA Command is running an IACP Vassal Tournament Saturday 19th of December, starting at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 a.m. CST. David and I will be running the stream and providing commentary for the event on the IA Command YouTube channel. So if you have just missed it, then you will most likely be able to find the recordings on the IA Command YouTube channel afterwards. Also still going on, the Bespin Trials, a casual competitive weekly league still going, and the Jedi Trials, which proved very successful first time around for novice players learning the game has been underway as well since the 23rd of November. So if you're interested in joining the Jedi Trials, then check out the IACP Discord and I will link that in the show notes as well. All right, we've had quite a few tournaments recently that have finished up. So there was the Season 4 Jetpack Cup the North American tournament, the European tournament, and the Oceanic tournament all happened in November. So the North American tournament had 11 players with Morgan Mastermoj reigning victorious. The European tournament had six players with Isaac coming out on top, and the Oceanic tournament had a turnout of four players with Kyle Bossom leading the Swiss at the end of the day. Now, I'm pretty sure they only had a Swiss because they had only four players, but I might be wrong on that one. Map rotation. Chopper base Atalon from the Hera and Chopper pack has now replaced the Endor Defense Station. There's also been an update to the IA Builder and the tabletop simulator module from Trevice. I will put links into the show notes for that as well. And Isaac is still streaming every Friday on the IA Command YouTube channel. That's it for news. Hope you enjoy the episode. Alrighty, and with the news out of the way, I think we are going to dive right in. So I'm very pleased to be rejoined by two people who have been on the podcast before. One of them is the one and only Kyle Bossom. How are you doing, Carl? Welcome back. Hello. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Um, so, 
as it's been a couple of months since you were on the podcast last, would you like to offer a brief reintroduction to yourself? So before doing that, of course, you were the winner of the Oceanic Bastel Seasonal Tournament, because as an American, you just couldn't help but go and win another continent's event. Says the Brit. <laughs> okay. Um, there's not much I can respond to that, so I'm just going to let that slide. So Kyle, uh, do you want to give a brief reintroduction of yourself? Sure, I started playing IA four or five years ago with the campaign. Then after a little while watching uh, YouTube videos of Worlds, I decided I would try my hand at it. I've been going to sword tournaments and regionals ever since. Amazing. And you're definitely golden down in history as one of the greatest faded players in the world. Prior to ICP, you would always dominate Vassal and... Even the smaller events and the larger events as well with your Vader lists. Then when ICP came around, even though you weren't playing Vader as much, you still continue to dominate. So Carl did appear on the podcast a couple of months ago with a with a Boba Fett matchup analysis after he, of course, took Boba Fett and steamrolled a different event. Uh, but it's great to have you back. I think it's going to be a good discussion. And in addition, I am joined by the one and only Jake from the formerly known as Twin Troopers podcast, now known as Dead Troopers podcast. How are you doing, Jake? Uh, uh, that's an introduction I cannot uh, compete with. Uh, I'm doing quite well. Uh, just to uh, get some reintroduction for myself, I've been playing the game literally since launch day, and uh, I've enjoyed every second of it. I've been playing, like I said, from the beginning, and I've always been a uh, sucker for melee lists. Uh, I actually was uh, the one of the I was the person who took Maul the furthest before IACP did anything with him, uh, taking top eight in a regional at FFG Center. Uh, I lost because of a very bad positioning misplay uh, to the eventual winner of that tournament. So uh, I'm very glad to see my man Maul uh, doing well in IACP. Amazing. And without any further ado, we are also joined by someone who has been, he always ranked close to the top of the leaderboard any event he goes to, but he hasn't appeared on the podcast yet. This is, of course, the one and only Morgan G. How are we doing, Morgan? Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I'm doing pretty great. Thanks, Isaac. Amazing. Would you like to offer a longer introduction to yourself? If you're going to give me the airtime, sure. Um, well, yeah. why not? <laughs> Actually, uh, our story begins at uh, the UK Board Games Expo in Birmingham um, in 2016. And uh, they had, FFG had a booth set up and basically the first campaign mission. Um, so my friends and I who went together, we, we actually sat down and played uh, Aftermath. And I decided I need to get this game. Um, so I played for a couple of years of just strictly campaign um, and then started to get into skirmish after I'd left, I'd left the UK um, and moved to uh, the Western coast of Canada and uh, started listening to actually the Twin Troopers podcast um, that, and that's really what got me into skirmish. So thanks for that, Jake. Woo. Gotcha. Man. Yeah. Absolutely. So you don't have to plug yourself. I'll do it for you. Yeah. And so I've been playing um, skirmish competitively since I guess Spectre Bowl, um, which I, I didn't I didn't know anything prior to that. So it was just like the world I I was born into. You picked one hell of a time to join, and I joined, and I was there for four by four. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. I mean, Spectre had its, um, no, no, it, it was all bad. There was nothing good about the period. Except, of course, for the fact that Morgan G decided to join Skirmish. Oh. 
Um, awesome. Well, it's great to have you here. And so I think just before we go into the details of what each of us ran and everything, let's talk briefly about what got us into more lists. Because obviously we come from very different list backgrounds. Kyle is a former Vader player. I am a former sniper player. Jake is a former melee player, which I guess makes the most sense out of all of them. And Morgan is a former Spectre cell entry. Not sure what you played back then. I actually played the Smuggler Box um, that, uh, again, featured on Twin Troopers podcast. <laughs> so oh, always love, beautiful. always love Smugglers. I, I, I wanted to play something different than Spectre because everyone is playing Spectre. So. Yeah. So let's start off with Jake. What got you into more lists? Well, uh, like I said in my introduction, I've actually been playing Maul since uh, since his release. Uh, one of the first tournaments I went to after Heart of the Empire came out was a Chaos in the Galaxy tournament, which was 50-point list, 2020 command decks, and no faction restrictions. So I took a list with uh, New Vader, Maul, Emperor, Luke Sky, uh, Jedi Luke, as well as a bunch of support, and... Did much better than I expected. I was expecting to get ripped up by sniper list because this was still during the uh, the hunter uh, domination. But it turns out that Vader with focus and Luke Skywalker uh, with access to Emperor free attacks are both really good. So in other words, you ran Queenspan before it was cool. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I, I ran Queenspan before uh, even calling them queen pieces was a thing. But uh, but. After running Maul in that and in the regional tournament that I mentioned before, uh, I always had an affinity for the old guy, and I thought I always thought he could be better than people gave him credit for and kept trying to make him work. And that extended into once I helped co-found IACP, uh, one of our uh, things was to reduce his price to six. And then uh, when we saw he still wasn't doing well, we decided we brought in the Darksaber to try to bring him up to snuff, which... I think we succeeded too well at that, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> Indeed we will, Jake. All right, so uh, Kyle, how about you? What got you into more lists particularly? Well, like you said, I've always played Vader. So naturally I played one of Palpatine's apprentices. I got to play the other. Indeed. Oh, God love us. So more of a theme reason then. Yeah, yeah. Just like Jake, I like melee lists and uh, he seemed really good. And of course, now we all know he's one of the best. Indeed, indeed. And how about you, Morgan? What uh, appealed to you about Maul with his dark saber? So I'm not going to lie to you. I built that list the, the morning of the um, of the North American Jetpack Cup, um, and I just wanted to have something that could deal with Vader. Uh, and I was like, "Hey, you know, Maul seems like he could damage Vader. He's got Pierce three, so let's let's throw a list with with brawlers." I, I wanted to try him and Diala together because Diala is like probably my favorite character oh yeah she's great so um it sort of stemmed from there yeah nice so i think what got me appealed into maul is that one i've always been a huge fan of maul when he showed up in clone wars i was over the moon i was so excited and his arcs in the clone wars and rebels are among the best in star wars in my opinion so for that reason once we had designed the dark saber card uh, I, I I just knew I had to give it a try. I mean, especially since the original idea for the card actually came from me in the steering committee. So, you know, obviously I'm going to want to try it out. Uh, but also, because we had buffed the Trend Ocean Hunters, I saw a pretty nice combo, which actually Kyle ran as well. And we'll get more into that in a minute when we talk about what each of us ran. 
But firstly, let's, to anyone who's unfamiliar, who might be new to the game or something, or has lived under a rock during season four, Jake, would you like to read Maul's stats? Absolutely. So Maul in IACP is a six-point figure. Uh, he is a mercenary. He has the traits of brawler and force user. He has speed four, uh, health 12, black die, and a red-yellow attack pool. His abilities are plus one damage on all attacks and a surge for pierce three. Uh, the abilities in his text box are one surge for stock prey, which allows him to surge to move two spaces and to gain uh, a damage power token. He also has sustained by rage, which states that if he has not resolved an activation this round, he cannot die. He also cannot, uh, cannot recover health, but that's not as important as the guaranteed activation. He cannot be murked before he activates in a round, which is pretty great. I'm pretty sure I got everything right, uh, but I'm doing all this from memory. Oh, I also forgot dual-bladed fury, the most important part of his card. So when he declares an attack, he can choose to either become focused or to the, have the attack gain reach cleave two, which would allow him to attack further out as well as uh, damage people within two spaces of him and line of sight if he so wished, which is a great ability when dealing with uh, lists with a lot of small figures or when attacking a figure that is close to death with another figure nearby that you want to damage. And especially when you have the capability to perform two attacks, which is actually a perfect segue into the Darksaber card itself. So, Carla, would you like to read off the Darksaber card for us? Sure. Darksaber is a one-point skirmish upgrade for Maul or Sabine. It reads, if you are a Force user, you may use Imperial Command Cards. Exhaust this card while attacking to re-roll re one attack die. For a special action, perform a melee attack with one red die. Treat Blast X as Cleave X during this attack. Then you, then you may perform an additional attack. Exactly, which essentially means that with Maul, he's got plus one damage on each of his attacks. So you're first going a red die plus one attack, and then a red-yellow plus one attack. And for both attacks, you can either become focused or gain reach and cleave too, which is so good. It is so good. Um, so now that we know what, what is on the cards, let's take a look at what each of us ran. So myself, Kyle, and Morgan, we each won one of the VSTs with a Maul list, and Jake came second to Morgan, also with a Maul list. So let's start with you, Kyle, as you won the first event. What did you run? I ran Bosk, two sets of Elite Trandos, Maul. R2, Elite Jawa, 3PO, Darksaber, Line Ambush. Wait, what? Didn't you run a... Isn't that what I ran? Pretty sure that's what I ran. No, you ran imp an Imperialist of Palpatine, Thrawn, Inquisitor, Maul, Darksaber, Line Ambush, Trandos. What did I run? At least I don't even know. <laughs> See, now this is the Twin Troopers experience we're all here for. Uh, Alright, um, so what Kyle actually ran at the event. So what Kyle actually ran was an Imperialist of Emperor Palpatine, Grand Admiral Thrawn, the Grand Inquisitor, Will uh, of Darksaber, yes. Lion Ambush, Trend Ocean Hunters, Got it. Temporary Alliance, Zillow Technique, we're good. by Fear. Got it. Beautiful. <laughs> we're all fine here now. How are yeah. you? <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, so what? Uh, so what inspired you about this list then? Uh, well, I wanted Lion Ambush Trandos, of course. 
Oh yeah. Decided to try them Imperials to give them a little uh, uh, boost to their defense. And I had to bring another mercenary figure to use get the most out of uh, Temporary Alliance, so none other than Maul as an Imperial makes most sense to me because he can use uh, d Dark Energy to pull people and Price of Glory and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So just out of curiosity, why not Vader and Maul together? Too many points. Can't get the Chandos in there. Mm, fair enough. Alrighty, and how about you, Morgan? What did you run when you uh, were victorious in the American Vassal Seasonal Tournament? So, I called the list Fantastic Four. Uh, four being Diala, Pessel, Shalabarad, Maul, and Onar. Um, and then I also filled it out with the Darksaber, Temporary Alliance, R2, Gideon, Ajawa, Elite Gajawa, Scavenger, and C3PO. Love it. So that's actually really funny because it reminds me of a list I ran in the early days of ISP, which I called Four Sabres, which was um, uh, Diala, Maul, Shyla, and I think it was Ahsoka at that point. Because the thought process being that you had uh, Four Sabres. And it's interesting that that kind of archetype now is viable again because it, it was okay back when I ran it, but it didn't really do too well. Um, so apart from your slightly obsessive love with Diala, um, uh, what uh, what gave you the idea for the list? Uh, well, I, I wanted to have something that could um, deal with Vader because uh, I had a feeling that he would make an appearance uh, at the list. Um, so I wanted figures that couldn't easily be one-shot by him um, but could also had enough pierce or just, just damage with their dice um, to actually do something to him. And as I started putting figures together, it uh, it dawned on me that like most of these figures have ways of moving people, um, which ended up working very well against you know ranged figures who like to hide and try to kite. Um, so like Shyla can can do her Mandalorian whip, Diala can pull somebody, Owner can push somebody with his rush ability. Um, so I can do a lot of positioning shenanigans. Um, and the list kind of came together like that. I like that a lot. And obviously it went very well for you as you managed to take the event by storm. And how about you, Jake? What did you run? So I ran a slightly updated version of the mall list I ran at the regional tournament I was talking about earlier. So I ran Darth Vader with Driven by Hatred, Emperor Palpatine, Maul with the Darksaber, Thrawn, an Imperial Officer, Zillow, Rule by Fear, Temporary Alliance, and Extra Armor. So the thought process behind this list was pretty simple, is to uh, get Darth Vader and Maul up in the opponent's grill and use Emperor to get more attacks out of them. Uh, it, it doesn't play objectives well, it just tries to kill as much of the opponent's list as possible and win on tempo. That is very interesting, and it does contrast with what Carl said. Uh, with not being enough points in there. I actually think that there is a lot of value in that list. I mean, Vader is a powerhouse, and Maul is a bit of a truck as well. Emperor in there, giving them more attacks is just disgusting. Thrawn giving them power tokens is also disgusting. And, yeah, I mean, Maul is good, but his one of his biggest weaknesses is his speed and his defensibility. And if you suddenly just put him in an Imperialist, that does work out that kink pretty easily. Absolutely, yeah. Between Thrawn, the tokens from Extra Armor, and Zillow Technique, uh, Maul's main uh, weakness of not being 
terribly survivable. Although, as I said earlier, his sustained by rage ability is a great defensive ability. Oh, yeah. But uh, but you know, one defend one black defense die only gets you so far. But one black defense die with a, a variety of block and evade tokens gets you a lot farther. Absolutely. So it's interesting. So those lists are all very different to the list that I ran. So I had a mercenary list, just like Morgan. And I had Bosk, Elite Transitions with Line Ambush, Maul, Darksaber, Jabba, Greedo, Jawa Scavenger, Line Ambush, Black Market, Indenture Jester, with Salacious, of course, and Extra Armor. And so the thought process behind this list was originally the kind of Shadow Collective archetype. So I built it firstly for theme. Because uh, obviously in, in the Clone Wars, Maul builds his Shadow Collective criminal gang. And, you know, there are Trandoshans there. He works with the Huts. So I thought, okay, let's build it out. Tried it out on the battlefield and it was absolutely, it, it hit like a truck. It was very, very strong. So I thought, okay, well, now the VSTs are coming up. I haven't practiced my Krennic list as much as I would like. Let's go for the Maul one, as it seemed more straightforward to play. The reason I had Indenture Jester is because of the Cripple Command card, which is disgusting. Uh, it's No one ever plays it. It's two points for one special action, a Brawler, can select a, an adjacent hostile figure. That figure cannot voluntarily exit its space for the rest of the round, which is revolting when Salacious can play it. So Salacious can activate, he can run up, play Urgency, so you could potentially be running five spaces and then just saying, oh, hello there, Maul, standing in the middle of the hallway, presuming that he can run in end of the round to do his work. You are not going to move. Or Vader. Oh, Vader, you're two away from all of my figures? That's a shame. I'll just cripple you there and you can't do anything. It was so fun. It's such a cool, janky ability there. And yeah, that was the thought, thought process behind the list. And also, I just missed Hunters, basically. It's been a while since we've seen a proper Hunter list do well in an event. So I thought, okay, well, let's go for let's go for the folks shenanigans. You've got, we've got Jabba in there. And, you know, a bunch of card draw as well with Jabba and Black Market. Well, with that out of the way, what matchups did we feel like we struggled against with our list? So let's once again start off with Jake. So this list is a pretty good all-comers list, I think. But uh, I was terrified of Kyle's uh, saboteurs with their uh, with their stun. I just happened to get lucky on a fair amount of defense rolls and avoid the damage, which would then bring in the stun. Mm. So I'm afraid of a large amount of stun. And also I got uh, tossed around by Morgan's uh, movement shenanigans with between Diala and Shyla and command cards getting my figures tossed around to places where I didn't want them to be, places where they weren't able to make good use of their actions and attacks. So I would say that uh, involuntary movement and stun are my biggest weaknesses with the uh, Thrawn Red Sabers list. Yeah, makes sense. And you, Kyle? Uh, I think the biggest weakness of my list would be a list with a lot of attacks in it or uh, you know, high damage attacks because with only a couple figures uh, take a lot of damage and I'm going to die. Yep, that makes sense. And how about you, Morgan? So I also don't like a lot of stun. Um, however, um, I do have, because I can still move people, I, I'm not as susceptible to it as many melee lists. And I also really don't like figures that can wipe out one of mine in a single activation. Um, so I really don't like IG-88 or uh, Jedi Luke 
or Vader for that matter. Mm. Or enemy malls. Or enemy malls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I think for me, it's pretty much the same thing, except that as all of, obviously, all of our mall lists are very, very unique. Mine, because it's a pretty standard hunter list mixed in with a bunch of brawlers, it does suffer anyone who can do a lot of damage very quickly. So, um, again, other malls, other vaders, other hunters. Uh, Stun, obviously, is Maul's worst nightmare because he's one of the very, very few figures in the game. We'll go into this um, in Strengths and Weaknesses properly, but he is one of the few uh, melee figures in the game who doesn't have an easy way to remove stun. Whereas Jedi, you know, throw a Yod in there and you've got it gone. If you're Vader, just throw it Unshakable in there and it's gone. Maul is, is in a sticky place with that. Um, so yeah, Maul defensibility is really what And scary. wouldn't your list also be really susceptible to command card control? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, if you are running a spy list and you are stopping me from getting my parting blows, my assassinates, my cripples and all of that off, I, I'm not very happy. It's... Because it, it's it's interesting. We, this is a whole other topic for another episode, but we have seen an IACP a bit of a shift where command cards seem to be less impactful than stats on cards, which is you know both good and bad in certain ways. And again, it's too broad of a topic to properly bring up in this episode, but it is interesting that you don't really see hunters anymore who are good with their stats, but it's their their cards which pushes them over over the line. Now we see more of things along the lines of, say, Maul and Vader, Jedi. Which is why, so the Imperial game plan has always been uh, stronger stat lines, but not as good of command cards. So that's why, I, I think that's a part of why Empire has been doing really well in ISCP. Yeah. we like, And just compared to the FFG release schedule, ISCP doesn't make near as many command cards as FFG did. Yeah, exactly. And that's not even if we think about the... Um, the ratio of command cards to deployment cards, that's even more dramatic. So going to strength and weaknesses next, um, what do you think that the list does when everything goes right, Jake? Uh, when everything goes right, I have eliminated half or more of the enemy list by the end of round two. Fair enough. And how would that go about? Uh, so that's if uh, a really good... Uh, good matchup from the VST I participated in was going up against a Lothcat Swarm, which they were controlling the objectives, but between Maul, Vader, Thrawn, and Emperor, I could kill two or more cats in every activation. Uh, so it was, uh, so in matches up, so the matchup against Swarm lists is my list uh, basically feeding frenzy is able to go into there, whereas lists with more high defenses but even against a list of, say, uh, something like Morgan's or uh, Kyle's list that he won with, where you're going up against figures with higher defensive stats, you're still able, with command cards, uh, to do a lot of damage. So in a different match, I went up against IG-11 and IG-88 in the same list. And, uh, and what happened there was I was able to use Vader, Parting Blows, and Grizzly Contest to eliminate IG-88 in one activation and uh, deal a significant amount of damage to IG-11 that he was able to get picked off by the Emperor when Emperor activated next. So uh, so with command, between the command cards I used and the figures I used, uh, basically when everything goes right, I'm able to have the game in the bag with kills by the end of round two. Makes sense. So, and in your list, who would you kind of consider is the 
most important figure in regards to killing other figures? Is that Maul's job or is that Vader's job? Or is it the Emperor's job by getting the other figures to do it? Uh, I would say Vader is my biggest damage dealer, but Maul is definitely no slouch. Uh, Maul does far more damage than his points would indicate. So he definitely helps it. Basically, if I'm able to, uh, in a Maul game, if Maul is able to get off two Darksaber actions, then it's highly likely that that player will win because each Darksaber action with the two attacks will be taking off, uh, will be doing significant damage or straight eliminating a figure or maybe even two if you're lucky. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Kyle, what does your list do when everything goes right? When everything goes right, those Trandos come out round two with uh, Parting Blows and Hunter cards and uh, one-shots their strongest figures. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, and yeah, that's something which I think applies to my list pretty well as well, because those line numbers Trandos are no slouch. <laughs> they do some serious work. And what's very important to consider about the whole line numbers Trando thing is that if we look at all of the lists that the four of us have played at these events, they are very low activation count. But being able to, with those line numbers Trandos, give yourself the last activation, that is very, very big. And something I like to do a lot, I'm not sure if you do this, Kyle, but bring the Trandos out and then make sure that Maul has the last activation. So even if he doesn't get an attack off, no one is going to be able to attack him before the round ends. And then he's in the middle of the entire field, he can do whatever he wants, and your opponent can do nothing about it, because he's there in the middle and he can't die until he activates. Yeah, I think one of the biggest like uh, hidden strengths of Lion Ambush is being able to go get that last activation. Absolutely. In addition to just being able to take your opponent's terminal, usually, depending on the map, of course. And how about you, Morgan? What does your list do when everything goes right? The way I play my list is I usually, with eight activations, I, I can usually count on getting last activation and being able to pull somebody who's maybe advanced a little bit too far up um, and get some strong attacks on or at least set up for, um, for attacks the following round. So if everything's going well, I will have grabbed somebody with the Alet or Shyla or both um, in the end of the first round. Um, and if not, then the second round, um, depending on who has initiative. Um, yeah. And just started, hopefully deleted them. Um, I guess when everything's going great, I will have killed something before they've had a chance to trade with me. Yeah, and so do you see your maul as being the most important attacker for you, or do you see the pushing tricks of the other figures as more integral to your strategy? So I think that Maul and Onar provide the brunt of the damage, although Shyla and Diala are no slouch in that department. It's just yeah. um I think my list really sings with the utility from moving figures around. Um, and it just really helps being able to do stuff like to, to kill them once they have been moved around. Um, but I think it's a strength of the list that like all four figures work well together um, and the list can function not as strongly, but can still function strongly without one of them. Um, mm. So even if they manage to, take out a figure, um, I've still got three really strong attackers that are scary for opponents. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, so 
we've spoken about how, obviously, what happens when everything goes right. Um, but unfortunately, it turns out that you don't always draw assassinating two parting blows in your first three cards every game, and sometimes your opponent is skilled enough to be able to outmaneuver your line ambushes or your vaders or your push abilities. So what is the worst case scenario? So Jake, what happens when your list, when everything goes wrong? What is your biggest fear, essentially? Having my attacks not working, so dodging or uh, roll, rolling terribly or your opponent uh, rolling really good defense uh, and basically not being able to get those kills I need, which is what happened uh, in my match against Morgan for the finals of the North American VST. I was going to say, that that never happens. Nobody nobody ever dodges Vader attacks, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, if I were to start running that uh, that Imperial Command card that uh, that negates your dodges, then it totally would happen. But I didn't run it, and I paid the price for it in uh, in our game, if I remember right. Fair enough. Yeah, exactly. And that is one of the big weaknesses in regards to, I mean, the, the majority of people in the game. But Maul, you know, he is very, very good. But ultimately, a dodge is still a dodge. He's not one of those figures like the ISPs. You can just get rid of a dodge like nothing. Um, or like Kyle actually ran the Grand Inquisitor, or, you know, me with all my Hunter cards. And so how about you, Carl? What is the worst-case scenario for you? Worst-case scenario is they run out of their deployment zone and spread out to spread out my forces. The strength of having high uh, high health figures is being able to you know, take a couple hits and then body block with someone else. So if they spread out and force me to spread out or you know take away that line the benefit of line ambush then i can't get use out of it yeah that makes perfect sense and how about you morgan i found out in my first game against because we actually played played against jake in the swiss uh and he ended up beating me and i think the primary reason for that besides me just never leaving a deployment zone (laughs) was uh through positioning errors i split up my list um my list is a lot stronger together um, so if you can force my figures to choose different paths, um, and still manage to, to win the trades independently, um, I have a hard time coming back from that. Um, mm. also worst case scenario is just having my opponent draw, um, Blaze of Glory or Son of Skywalker the first round and just deleting one of my guys because there isn't a ton of defense against that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's pretty similar for me as well, uh, especially what Carl said. The line ambush trenders are a very integral part of the list. So if my opponent is able to outmove them, you know, yes and no, because if they do run away from their deployment zone, they're running towards my Salacious, Small, and Bosk, which I'm not complaining too much about. But obviously the Trandos being too far away does limit their usability quite a lot. I think a very integral piece is that if I lose, and I think this probably goes for all of us, if I lose an important piece before he's really been able to do his work and get his value out, uh, I mean, if if I lose more early, it's basically game over. But even Bosk, you know, Bosk is no. I think this is the fourth time we've said slouch this episode, but Bosk is no slouch. Bosk can hit hard, but he's. Eh, I don't think he's quite there. He, he's approved, so you know, he it is what it is. But I I personally think that the plus damage and strain from the from the chosen dice should have affected the target itself as well but that's that but hey maybe we'll discuss that when uh, and if boss wins another vst sometime 
But losing boss girly does definitely hurt a lot. All right, so how? So now we're talking, you know, less less extremes. Just going into how you can try and not just rely on luck, just rely on the best skill that you have in your positioning and your tempo control to try and find a middle ground between the best case and worst case scenario. Because you can't just rely on the best case scenario all the time. But if you assume the worst is going to happen every time, you're never going to do anything the entire game. See, the thing with the with my list is that it's pretty one note, is that you whether you assume the worst or best is going to happen, the only possible chance you have to win is to move forward as quickly but also intelligently as possible. So if you're staring down the teeth of a uh, of say a bunch of rangers or uh, or stump or like large uh long range hitters like that you move forward with using cover as best as you can but you still need to move towards your opponent uh so if your opponent moves back moves towards you as well uh so if you're up against a melee list that moves towards you then you're in business but if you're moving against a list that refuses to engage stays in their deployment zone uh, you still have to move forward, whether you think that's going to end up in the best or worst case scenario. So, so as you would expect of a combination of Vader and Maul, they run towards the list and start slashing with lightsabers. <laughs> Makes sense. And you, Kyle? Generally, I try to take the middle of the map and position myself to be safe. Round two, I'll position my figures so that they can't move up. Wait for those line ambush trandos to uh to do work because they always do oh yeah yeah exactly and that makes sense and i think that's that applies to miners pretty much exactly as well you just want to make sure that you uh, stay safe round one even if that means hanging back because unlike um jake and morgan's list your opponent can't really stay in your deployment zone to avoid you because Two Trandos can do some pretty disgusting things if they pop out with the right cards. I mean, I've seen Lion Ambush Trandos pop out with you know just a bunch of Hunter cards and a Parting Blow combo. So you've got three attacks, three strain, both all with plus two damage on each. And they're going to remove the stun at the end of the round from Lion Ambush uh, from Parting Blow, so it's not going to hurt them much. It's really, really strong. So just making sure that your opponent can't get any early hits off on your Bosk and your Maul is very, 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 very important to the overall performance. And so how about you, Morgan? Uh, I mean, it's it's very much the same that um, that Kyle pointed out. With when it, with any melee list, you want to try to take the middle um, so that you deny your opponent's objective points um, and try to force them to you, um, while also staying safe from, from sniping figures. Um, for... Me, it's just the, I guess it's just risk assessment, trying to assess whether uh, it is worth the risk of exposing one of my figures. Um, so case in point, when I was playing against Kyle, we were playing on Endor, and he brought a group of his stun machine sabs over to where the shield generator and that other terminal are. And it was clear to me that his plan was to try to take uh, a long-range shot to stun Maul, who is still sort of hanging out near, near my deployment zone. And so I made a conscious decision to just run him up as far away from them as possible. Um, and it meant that he didn't get to do anything for basically a turn and a half. Um, but that would have been the case 
had I left him there anyway, but also with like eight damage on him. So um, mm. just knowing when to cut and run um, and when to to go all in, I guess. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. All right, so before we go into the maps and we take a look at them one by one, we're going to have a slightly less organized uh, little discussion about Maul himself. So I know Jake, you especially want to talk about this. Essentially, is Maul too good or is he balanced? I'm pretty firmly of the opinion that he is very, very good, but not too good. But uh, Jake, why am I wrong? You're wrong because he puts out more damage than any other seven-point figure in the game and puts out damage on a per-round basis that is actually comparable with Vader for... Uh, a little less or a little more than half the points. So the problem with that is, is that he's an unbalancing influence in the game. He's very good in both Imperial and Mercenary lists as judged by the fact that we're having this conversation. Yeah. Uh, Darksaber Maul has cleaned up all three of the premier level tournaments in IACP season four so far. And, uh, and he, there wasn't even a chance for him not to do so when the final match was Maul v Maul in the, in the North American tournament. So with all that being the case, so I actually pulled up the uh, attack stats for him. So a Darksaber Maul doing the Darksaber action, focusing both times, has a 64% chance to do 8 damage and a 41% chance to do 9 against a Black Die with a bonus block, just to uh, account for all of the uh, defense bonuses that are available. As compared to Vader, I did the math for both Vader's normal attack and his end-of-round attack using a red-red uh, with an 80% chance to do uh, 8 and 67% chance to do 9. So uh, there is less percentages, but those don't involve those don't include re-rolls on either of those. So he's doing Maul or he's doing Vader level damage output for half the price as uh, and in multiple factions. So of course, he doesn't have the Vader level defense, but the fact that he's putting out that much damage as a seven-point figure makes him an unbalancing influence on the game, as proven by his sweeping of the VSTs. Jake, how would you fix him? What would you do to make him, as you believe, uh, worth his points? Or not worth more than his points? I think we would have to take some sort of action to uh, reduce his damage output. Because he has about average... Mo- he has average... Uh, mobility for uh for a melee figure as well as i would say above average defense given his sustained by rage so we would have to reduce the damage output on him so uh, as to how to do that uh would be something that we could uh, have a discussion as a community and as a steering committee do you think getting rid of his plus one would would be sufficient uh i hadn't considered that i'd have to run the numbers and play test it i think that's definitely something we could uh throw into the mix all right, so just to... I, I get where you're coming from, Jake. I, I really do. The issue is that he is not comparable to Vader in any way. I mean, yes, we've looked at that he's got a... He's got about a 20% lower chance on each of those statistics to do um, 89 damage, respectively. Again, not counting rerolls. We are there ignoring the fact that Vader has a reroll in each attack, whereas Maul only has one reroll per round. In addition, let's look at the other damage dealing attributes. Both of them have the ability to do parting blows. Vader's parting blow is a lot more powerful, just base, because his base attack is a lot better than, than Maul's base attack, even despite the autofocus. And again, Vader gains a reroll for every single reroll that he does. 
In addition, we have the fact that Vader has Force Choke. He can do an unblockable 2 to 3 damage to someone in his line of sight. Maul, however, can do unblockable 2 damage to someone 2 away if he sacrifices a focus or if he throws his own command card in there. That is a pretty big difference. Um, yes, Maul is more flexible in more lists, but that is ultimately a benefit, a, a argument against him being a unbalancing influence to the game, because as we've seen here, yes, Maul has won all three big events, but in three completely diverse lists that have nothing to do with, with each other, we have him slotted into one hunter list, we have him slotted into a kind of rebel brawler list, I would argue, and we have him slotted into a Vader Palpatine list. All of them are very different, and I don't really see them being completely game-dominating. In regards to his weaknesses, yeah, sure, his defensive his defensive thing is very, very good. However, he still, he doesn't have the, I wouldn't say he has got an above-average defensive ability, because he can't dodge, he can't land or anything like that. Yes, the ability to survive until you activate is very, very powerful, not at all to be underestimated, but his speed is is way below average for a seven-point melee figure. Let, let's look at some others. We have Ahsoka. She can move eight spaces in attack. Um, let's look at uh, Luke for much more expensive. He can he can move eight in attack or four in attack twice, just like more. He has more flexibility that way. Uh, Ezra, he can move twice as far. Diella, she can essentially move twice as far with plus one speed and is able to push someone who is three away up to two spaces to a space next to you. Garkin, he has twice the amount of speed. So he is a ridiculously slow figure, but he hits like a truck. That is absolutely true. But also, if you play around him, you can absolutely deal with him because he is so slow. I, I think, uh, so you're comparing him to other figures in his points range, but the problem is, I actually ran the numbers on this, His point he does so much more damage for his points uh, than anybody else in his price range that, yeah, so so he has lower mobility, but he if he gets closer, which with command cards, Force Rush, uh, worth every credit, Price of Glory, Urgency, uh, there are many, many ways for him to get the movement points he needs to get to the enemy. And then once he gets there, he is dealing significantly more damage than any other seven-point figure in the game uh, to the point where it's not even close. I'm looking at the graph. It's uh, uh, compared to Diala, Shyla, uh, and Ezra, and uh, and Obi-Wan. He, has, he is dealing so much more damage. So it's, uh, let's see, those other people are all in the 30-ish percent chance to, uh, to hit... Uh, six damage, whereas Maul with his double attack is hitting eight damage 64% of the time and nine damage 40% of the time. Mm. He is wiping people off the map while these other figures are just getting in solid attacks. So that's why, so if you compare him to, he has a Vader level attack for half the price and deals much, much, much more damage than anybody else in his price range. So that is an unbalancing and overpowered figure. But again, we are we are we can't just look at it through single factor analysis. There are a lot more elements to a figure than only being able to deal damage. I mean, let's look at Ezra for example. Ezra can move four and then play pummel, and I mean pummel with with Ezra is ridiculously difficult to calculate in the graph. So I don't even think it's possible with his die turning ability. But that is definitely comparable to Maul's attack. And sure, it costs you a command card, but. It's a, you know, with Rebels, you've got Yoda, you've got R2, you've got other ways to draw cards. And yes, I mean, I don't think anyone is denying that Maul has an above average damage output for its cost. I mean, I fully admit that. But in all other aspects, he is below the curve. And I just don't see him as being broken in that way. 
I'd like to hear from our other panelists. Uh, we, I think we've both laid out our, well, what, so, uh, so we've, uh, we've brought out our arguments. Uh, what does the jury say? I think we need more evidence. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, um, I mean, just from a, I don't, I don't have any stats to back this up, but, um, I don't, I feel like you can deal with mole. Um, I think that his speed and his, um, his limited health pool means that there is, you can plan for him. Uh, he does do a bunch of damage, but I feel like if you go in with a plan to deal with him, um, he is not, um, not invincible. Uh, I feel like the last time we saw a figure sort of take tournaments by storm, it was the Royal guards and it was only in the junk guards list. They also took the the queen. They also did queen spam. Yeah, and uh, and even then, so I think you could make the same arguments that royal guards weren't unkillable. They weren't dealing uh, absurd amounts of damage, but they still had to be nerfed for the health of the game. Now, I don't think anybody's. Even I'm not saying that Maul is invincible or that Maul is the only figure that can ever win again. I just think he's so far above the curve that he is unbalancing the game. Fair. I just. I remember feeling very much playing against that junk guards list that I had no chance. Um, I couldn't kill them with th- like three Vader attacks and they were doing as much damage to Vader as Vader was doing to them. Um, I haven't necessarily felt that with Maul. Yes, he does do lots of damage, but I feel like I, I feel I've never felt like he, I, he was insurmountable. Um, so uh, I don't think, I mean, I just want to caution the, uh, I guess the committee in charge of this to not nerf every figure as soon as they do well at a tournament. Mm. Yeah. While at the same time understanding that yes, they are very strong, um, and like I'm probably I, I just don't want to make it that Mole never gets played uh, again, which is kind of what happened to the Royal Guards, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's completely fair. And obviously, just a disclaimer here: neither Jake or I are expressing thoughts on the of the committee in this episode. We are just giving our own thoughts, completely, completely independent from all that. So, just because I think that that more shouldn't be nerfed, he's not going to be nerfed. Just because Jake thinks that he will be nerfed, uh, that he should be nerfed, doesn't mean that he will. Time will tell. We'll we'll be discussing in the committee, of course, just like we discuss everything. I think the January tournaments are going to be the crucible where we see if Maul is actually unbalancing or not, because uh, this is a new uh, format. And so a lot of the times it takes a little bit for uh, things to shake out. It might just be that Maul was the shiny new thing that while very good, uh, there might be something winging in the wings that will keep that will balance them out. Exactly. And I also think that it's worth pointing out that it's not like it was just some some random person who took the who took Royal Guards to the top. Uh, sorry, who took Maul to the top. I mean, without, I mean, let's just be honest here. I mean, uh, Kyle, Jake, Morgan, and myself, we are some of the strongest players in the community. So did we, I mean, in my games, I definitely, definitely didn't feel that Maul was the reason the list did well. He was just a very good and important part of the list. So... I, I think you're all completely right. We'll just have to wait and see. If it turns out that everyone runs more and it's absolutely ridiculous and he's the only thing that, that yeah, absolutely, then he should be in F. But I don't think it's buff. It's enough information at the moment. And also, I think is import- important, in my again, in my own opinion, not the community's opinion, I don't think that Imperial Assault players should have their hands held 
You know, sometimes things should come into the meta and stir things up a little bit, and you have to adapt your list to do it. I mean, just look at Vader, for example. When Vader came into the meta, there was a very solid standard that was made. If you cannot kill Vader, the list doesn't work. And that was good and bad for some reasons. It killed a lot of lists, but it also meant that Junk Gods was gone. It also created a whole new meta in the way you played the game. And ultimately, that is not, I think, a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, but what what do you think, Kyle? I'm definitely with Morgan on that. Uh, nerfing too soon is not healthy. And I agree with your points about having figures shift the meta. I don't think I have anything to add that hasn't already been said. All right. Well, uh, Jake or Morgan, I, I think I've said my piece. Uh, do you guys have any closing thoughts before we dive into the um, kind of the gameplay section of the episode? Uh, no, why don't we just uh, start talking about some maps? All right, so I think we'll dive right into the gameplay section of the episode. Unfortunately, Kyle had to run off early um, due to some IRL stuff coming up. But what we are going to do is, it's a little bit weird, because we just had a map rotation come in. Uh, the chopper base Atalon has now replaced the Endor Defense Station. And what's interesting there is that Endor Defense Station was in rotation during the, uh, the events. So discussing it would be a little bit of a waste. However, we haven't really... <laughs> played Maul. Oh, we spoke about this before starting the recording, but none of us have really played Maul on Chopper Base Atalon. So we're really just going to focus on ISB headquarters and the Coruscant Senate office in a, I guess, slightly more in-depth explanation. So let's, I suppose, start off with ISB headquarters. So Jake, with your list, which, just to remind everyone, is a is a Vader, Emperor, Maul, Thrawn list. So my I had a pretty consistent game plan in every game I've played with this list on ISB, which is to have the officer push up Thrawn two spaces and move to the terminal. Second activation, move Thrawn two spaces, open the door, and then move into cover. And then after that, pass until the uh, until I can no longer pass with my five activation list to and then uh, attack targets of opportunity with Maul and Vader. This uh, this. Uh, Operation worked on both reconnaissance and uh, ISB to your stations. So, uh, and in that, in this case, this list in almost all cases is the list that wants to open the door because that will terrify your opponent into either not opening their door or they open the door and start coming to you. Either way, uh, that's what you want them to do. Mm. So, I presume a bit of an <laughs> of an issue there is, um, I guess, just out of uh, curiosity. Let's say your opponent was running rangers or scout troopers or IG eleven. Does that change your open the door policy? Um, honestly, no, because on ISB there is places to run that is within, uh, that is in cover. Or if even if there isn't, I'm going to if I want to win this matchup, I have to engage with them anyway. So I'm going to be taking some long range shots. Yeah. Uh, so the against a sniper list like IG Eleven or Rangers, ba- the basic game plan is is to weather the shots on the way in as best as you can using Zillow, uh, power tokens, etc. And then getting up in the in the sniper's faces, which is where they don't want you to be. Mm, that makes sense. So so in that case, would you say that, you're, that the ideal tempo of the game for you would be very aggro? You want the game to be over as soon as possible, essentially. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the uh, things that helps this list as a, like that recommends this list as a tournament list is because no matter what, uh, win or lose, the game is going to be over pretty quickly. You're hardly ever going to go to time, which means you have uh, less mental strain over the course of a day. 
Yeah, which is something very important to consider. Alright, so speaking of objectives then, so on this mission there are obviously two different missions. You've got the Reconnaissance, which really punishes your opponent if they have more more figures than you. Which almost all lists do than my five-figure yeah, list. I was about to say. Um, or in contrast, you have the Station List, or the Station Mission. How... I guess it's pretty self-explanatory what you do on the Reconnaissance one. You just run forward, you basically win mathematically with the points just because you have such few figures. So let's talk about the um, the station one. Do you commit any figures into that red zone? So in my game with Morgan on the two-year stations, I uh, he committed uh, his mall to a station, and I uh, moved myself into uh, to try to contest one of them. But he had so much uh, he had so much ability to move me between force push and the uh, and the Mandalorian whip ability to be able to run control of the stations, which in the end is what killed my Vader is that he had two damage remaining. R2 on the station shot him. Oh, little hero. (laughs) I I love that. I love that. The station's doing damage is not to be scoffed at. Absolutely not. Especially against Vader, like Vader with a block token is uh, very hard to get damage through. So having that ability to uh, toss two damage unblockable, around at end of round was uh was pretty clutch for morgan i can imagine so i suppose then on this map what would you say that you are looking for is there any are there any specific misplays your opponent could make which you are really keeping an eye out for or is there maybe some a certain spot you are trying to run towards so the uh the staircase at the uh at, right next to the blue deployment zone is very difficult for my list to get into or out of mm. because of the uh, all of the shenanigans with the red dotted lines. I have to go up just the one staircase. I don't have any ability to use mobile. Yeah. So, uh, so having an opponent uh, camping up, camping out up in there, if they start from that deployment zone, is a pain in the butt for my list. Yeah, but nobody nobody camps in that deployment zone. <laughs> Who does that? Uh, <laughs> Absolutely not, especially not uh, lists using Viala, Maul, and Chyla. Oh God! <laughs> our, our, so uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just want to clarify. So our, our first, oh, first to interrupt. Uh, both, uh, both of Morgan and Mai's match in the North American VST were on this map, so I feel like he has plenty of uh, plenty to uh, bring in as well here. Yeah, our. Our, our, our first match, I, I basically acted like a coward and sat in my sat in that aforementioned deployment zone uh, and waited for Jade to come with me. It did not go well for me. Um, and then the second one was a lot more um, meet in the middle and fight, duel it out. Fair enough. So I suppose turning the floor over to Morgan, what would you call your aim for round one being? Because obviously you do have a very different list. So I'm guessing you're round one tricks are probably a little different. Uh, it, honestly, it depends on initiative. Um, if, if, if I have initiative first, uh, I want to open the door with the Jawa and use uh, Gideon to move um, Diala to a position where she can move five, pull somebody in a, and, and, and hit them if they moved basically anywhere out of their deployment zone. Um, mm. And uh, sorry, that's if I if I don't have initiative. If I do have initiative, it's usually just wait in a forward position, um, and then if they overcommit, punish them for it with either Shiloh or Diala. 
Interesting. So what would you call your ideal tempo of the game then? Because it sounds like you are a lot more conservative and careful with the way you want your figures to go than, than uh, Jake. Which makes perfect sense because obviously Diala is a lot easier to kill than, say, Vader. Very slow and then very, very quick to pounce. So it's sort of like, mm. a, like a cat hunting. I just want to wait until there's an opportunity to... Uh, to pounce, literally pounce on somebody, and then uh, and then finish them quickly, and then just continue stomping from there. That makes perfect sense. So let's talk about the two missions then. What is your plan for these stations? Because obviously, being slow and careful is a little bit tricky to do when there are stations that are worth so many points. So. Honestly, it's it's waiting for them to send somebody ahead and then pouncing on them. Uh, I sort of generally let the opponent take the first. Or if it's clear that they're going to stay behind their, their door, then moving somebody up and, and, and taking them just to get a to, to make them make them come to me. Put some points on the board. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And especially considering all the push mechanics you have, that is definitely going to give you an advantage over there. And also, you are an 8 activation list, which... IACP has definitely seen a slight, not not a huge, especially with Season 4, but a slight drop in the average number of activations. We're probably more looking around 6 or 7 rather than 7, than seven or 8 or 9, as it was earlier. Um, and being able to have 8 activations must be quite helpful to be able to take those underground objectives, as you're out-activating almost every other list. Absolutely. So, how about the other mission then, Reconnaissance? Uh, again, it's very dependent on who I'm playing. Um, I I felt like that was not a very good matchup um, for me against Jake because I could only at max, like in ideal circumstances, score five victory points because he only had five figures, and that was never yeah. going to happen. That was never going to happen with his his list. <laughs> so uh, I, I I was forced to try to outkill the Vader list, um, which is very difficult to do. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, rec- reconnaissance is largely just a for me. It's just a make sure you kill kill everyone list. I, I can't super win on um, points. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's just say then positioning wise, would you call yourself more of a denial style approach to positioning or more aggro it sounds to me that it's probably a little more in the denial element they're trying to stop your opponents from doing what they want to do rather than you just going out and being as aggressive as possible yeah i mean my my melee figures in order to hold positions they need to spread out generally uh, and i don't yeah. want to spread out um because they work so well together um and just the, the nature of the the pulling uh, and pushing that I can do is much better at denying other people objectives than controlling them myself. That makes sense. So is there anything in particular, like I asked Jake, anything in particular that you are looking for in the game? Some kind of misposition, some kind of window, a certain spot you want to stand on, perhaps? The, I, I'm waiting for somebody to stand somewhere that I can pull them uh, out into range of my other figures or 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 Diala, so I'm looking mm-hmm. for someone because Diala can move five, pull somebody from seven spaces away or from like two spaces away from that point, 
um, and attack. Um, or like I did in my game against Kyle, I moved 10 spaces and pulled somebody that was 12 spaces away from when I started. Uh, and oh, then ran gosh. up, yeah, ran up, ran up t- 10 spaces to, uh, pulled a, pulled a, uh, sab and then moved up five with Shyla and, and pulled it, uh, pulled and attacked. So I pulled, I attacked somebody that was 12 spaces away with, with Shyla, just from Diala and Shyla's. Pull that is that is disgusting. Yeah, it's pretty pretty hard to defend against. So, do you have uh, force push and your list, the command card? No, I don't need it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but it, it sounds like that. It sounds that way. That that is very very cool. Now, I do like the idea of the list a lot. Just being all that push. I mean, uh, like I said, I used to run a uh, Diala Shiloh Mall list back before Mall was. Uh, uh, as good as he is now with the Dark Saber. And, and it is fun. Th- those pushes are not to be underestimated. They can do some disgusting things to your opponents. For sure. So I think just to touch on briefly what my list wants to do. Um, and obviously Kyle isn't here at the moment, but I think we do pretty similar things, considering the fact that both have Maul, we both have Lion, Ambush, Trandos. Our support and other units do differ, but it's pretty much the same idea. Maul and the uh, Trandos are a big part of, of the game. So essentially, the aim for round one is to make sure that I don't take any damage. Um, under no circumstances should I expose my figures. I use my smug acid body blocker if I really think I can get some value out. Uh, by opening the door with the Jawa, and perhaps with a movement card, or even just with a push of some kind, I would be able to create kind of a little bit of a box where I could, next to him, stand Maul and Bosk, where they can pretty easily run out at a later point without taking any damage at the moment. Because essentially, for round one, I cannot afford to take damage on one of the figures. If I take two damage on boss, obviously that's fine, because he just recovers it. But I really can't afford to take, you know, big hard hits or saboteur hits. Saboteurs are a big fear of my list, of course. But then essentially, the ideal tempo of the game is, I think, very similar to Morgan. It's very slow, it's very drawn out until the Trandos come out. When the Trandos come out, then Bleep has to hit the fan. And it's got to hit it very, very quickly. So the tr- so the Trandoshans have to come out, and it, and the, at the same time that my opponent is, is starting to deal with the Trandoshans, that is when they are double flanked, and Maul and Bosk run towards them. The plan is generally to, like I said earlier, have Maul be the last figure to, activ- to activate, so that he doesn't take any damage, and he just goes into a whole other round, again, with two block power tokens from extra armor, ho- hopefully, unless my opponent is able to dash it away somehow. That's, that's essentially the plan. Objective utilization, um, obviously, if it's the reconnaissance one, it's very simple. It's, you know, like the other said, you just run towards them and you just try and kill as many as you can. If you get some extra points from the tokens, great. But you really don't care about that. You, you just kill, kill, kill. And with Jabba giving me more attacks and more points from the kills, I can do that very effectively. On the other one, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit interesting. I, te- I generally try to flank around towards the hallway a little bit, but still try and stage the game in my opponent's terminal if terminal area, if possible. Uh, just because that gives me a lot more flexibility, I can potentially take their terminal, my salacious can get there pretty easily. It's very open as well, uh, so it's hard for them to hide from anything. And yeah, just generally being able to have a pincer maneuver of Maul and Bosk on one side, Line Ambush Trenders on the other, it limits my opponent's options quite a lot, and that is very good. <laughs> that is ultimately what has to happen. 
Uh, as for anything I am looking for in particular, not really. If my opponent stands very far away, I'll probably be a little more aggressive with my Morland boss because they they have to get their value out after after the transits have popped out. They can't just double move around too usually. Again, it really depends what I'm going up against, but that's generally the plan. So regarding this map, would would you guys consider it a good map for for your list or a okay map? I, I as an are you looking forward to it rotating out? Uh, if I were to continue playing this list, uh, ISB is one of my strongest maps. Yeah, because of its uh, because it has close quarters combat, uh, it's very hard to avoid or kite my melee figures. And additionally, the uh, the doors in the way. If I open the door first, that makes my opponent uh, skittish to open their door, which gives me more room and protection to uh, deploy in an area that I can press the attack round two. Yeah, I I feel the same way that this is a very strong map for me. Um, certainly, uh, in under most circumstances, I do less hiding than I do in the Coruscant map. Yeah, I, I think that definitely makes sense. And I would pretty much echo that as well. It is it is a very good map for close-range lists. If you're going up against a sniper list, you should expect to have a very good time, because it's, it, it's not as bad as, say, Endor for long-range lists. But it's it's definitely good for the close range ones. Uh, so any final thoughts on the map before we dive into the Coruscant one? I mean, I I think it's a great map. It's mm. one of the more one of the more balanced ones in the entirety of Imperial Assault. Which is why we brought it back. I uh, you said I think it's next up on the chopping block, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. So actually, I have to disagree that a little bit. I think that the map itself is very very balanced. It's very very good. It's very fun. But the missions, the station mission is great. The reconnaissance mission is just bad, because it it punishes you know it punishes people for bringing objective hitters, which is very odd for an objective mission. And sure, you know I think it's good to have some objective missions which are different and shake the game up, like a, like the senator one we'll talk about in a minute. But ultimately, I just feel like it rewards small activation lists too much. Whereas, uh, well, I mean, it's one mission in six, whereas the vast majority of maps, if you have uh, a few figures who can run out, grab objectives or hold objectives, then you're in a good position. So having one mission in a rotation of six that punishes that style in favor of small activation lists, which already have some issues, then uh, then I don't see too much of an issue there. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with Jake here. And I, I really appreciate that there is a unique that it's a unique mission like it's not just uh oh i need to hold this position or oh i need to collect this thing right yeah absolutely um i'm just saying i i i'm gonna be fine with seeing it go i it's very fun it's a fun mission i remember playing it at the european championships in what was it i want to say 2017 or something maybe it was 2018 i can't quite recall uh but it was a very fun lap um but the mission not each fan of reconnaissance Anyway, uh, let's move on to Coruscant Senate Office, which is one which has not been featured in a lot of tournaments before. In fact, I think it might have had its debut in this event, unless I'm mistaken. Let's start with Jake again. What is your aim for round one? This is a much bigger map, so I'm curious to hear this. My aim for round one is to is generally to use the large pillar in the... Uh, so in the there's three lanes in this map, using the center lane... To, and using that large pillar to try to uh, to obstruct line of sight to the opponent's list. Uh, or 
if if we deployed on opposite sides of our deployment zones, then I use whatever lane I deployed into, generally the terminal side to or the left side of the map, looking at it from the standard, uh, going through the emperor's office. I generally try to use that to run up and uh, try to get into people's grills quickly, but safely. So it all depends on which way the uh, the opponent goes, but the general name of the game is to move into cover round one uh, and then move up and attack round two. Mm, makes sense. So does the ideal tempo for you change at all in on this map? As it is so much bigger, do you still want the game to end as quickly as possible, or are you more looking to take your time a little bit? The more time I take, especially against ranged lists, the more time they have to get at me and attack. So this, like I, like I said, this list is quite simple in its game plan. It's move forward and, and swing lightsabers. So uh, the more time I'm not doing that is more time wasted and more damage I'm taking without uh, being able to hit back. Yeah, that makes sense. So in regards to objectives then, obviously we've got some very unique objectives here. We've got, or at least one of them is, uh, we've got a pretty standard take and hold mission, which doesn't give out a bunch of points, but it's, you know, it's there are enough tokens that it's manageable, even though it gives it only gives out one point per token, which is fluctuations level stupid. However, it is possible to get some more points than you could on fluctuations just with how they're positioned. And then we've got the very, very weird one, because you get a ridiculous amount of points from it in the Senator mission. So what is your game plan in regards to objectives? Do you ignore the objectives or do you push for it a little bit? So with the take and hold objective points map, that's actually a pretty good map for my list because of the reduced range. I'm I'm running mostly melee figures, so the reduced range doesn't hurt me, but definitely hurts my opponents mm-hmm. most of the time. So in that one, I'm even more empowered to use all eight of my movement points on Vader and Maul, get them up there, uh, use my movement uh, point command cards the next round to get up and start attacking, assuming that they're in a position to attack, uh, to be attacked. On the Senator mission, though, uh, my game plan is to use uh, is to deploy my fighters to one side and my officer and maybe Thrawn to the other side uh, to open the door and get those Senators scored because by the end of the game, they're worth, what, 18, 21 points uh, if you can get all three scored. Yeah, it, it is it is pretty crazy because you get three every round. So looking at nine by round three, then you score them. So there'll be nine plus 15. Which is a fair amount of points. <laughs> it's quite a lot. Yeah, so by that point, you have 24 points coming in, which means I just need to get 16 kill points, which with Vader, Maul, and Palpatine working together is very feasible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you try and kill your opponents? Because obviously that's, that is a double-edged sword. One of the biggest advantages with your list is that your opponent doesn't have... is that your opponent has to kill quite a lot of big, beefy units, uh, especially, you know, Vader and the Emperor, Maul as well. But... If they are able to score all of their objectives, then they really only need to kill Maul and the Emperor, who are way easier to kill than, say, Vader. Or just Vader, by by that regard, if they've got, say, Celebration. So would, do you see yourself going for your opponent's Senators, or do you just or do you just focus on killing their attackers? Obvious, like, the thing with all this, uh, with all this tactics talk is that it really depends on the situation, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So if I'm in a situation where my path to 40 is, uh, is best done by attacking their Senators... Which uh, the problem with attacking senators is that it's denying your opponent's points, but it's not getting you points for yourself. So it, you should only be attacking opponent senators if there's nobody else to be attacking 
or if you have to do it to make the game go one more round so that you have a possibility to win. So otherwise you should be attacking opponents figures is the way I look at it. Mm. Unless there's literally no, unless you would either lose the game by not attacking fig, the senators, or if there's nobody else to attack, which if there's nobody else to attack, that's either genius or terrible positioning by your opponent because they're just giving up so many points to, uh, they're just giving up so many points possibilities. Yeah. So positioning wise, I suppose that you would probably say that you have a more aggro based because again, you want the game to be over as quickly as possible. Essentially, you're not looking to take your time and deny your opponents doing what they want to do. You just want to rush up and do what you want to do. Exactly, and that's uh, that's the guiding pole star for this list in all maps is to uh, is to get the game over quickly because the more you dilly dally, the more damage you take, the more likely you are to lose. That makes sense. All right, well, so Morgan, over to you then. Uh, what is your aim for round one with your kind of pushy more list? Uh, so it's getting, I, I too like the middle of the map just because it's, it's, it's prime pulling territory from, from either way. I like to, at least in the Senators, I like to escort them with the Jawa. Um, so I like to hang out at that door, um, at least from the, from the top. Um, and on the range mission, I feel a little bit safer because if anyone wants to shoot one of my guys, I try to make it so that they have to get close enough to make that range. Um, and that's of course, close enough to pull and, and annihilate, right? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So in regards to that, would you say that your tempo is still that kind of cat-like creeping up and then pouncing at the instant you really need it? Absolutely. Yeah, I want to try to move my guys up safely as possible because they do have a long way to go to get to the opponent's back line. So objective utilization is one I'm, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts about because of the amount you can push. So, you know, the, uh, the take and hold mission is pretty self-explanatory, but the Senator one, your list is very unique in that you can approach, I mean, one, you've got more who can kill an, a Senator in one attack pretty easily. Um, but also, you have push abilities with Diala, with Onar, with Shyla. You have really good opportunities to pull those senators away from Europe, from the opponent being able to score them. So, does that influence your game plan going into the senator mission at all? Uh, likewise, what Jake said, if, if that's the most valuable thing to do, then yeah. But quite often, it's it's more valuable for me to kill their figures um i don't have to i don't have to kill a ton to in order to make 40 points once the senators leave but what i'm hoping for is mostly to kill their figures so they can't kill mine because my list is so beefy chances of me killing one of them is before they do so to me is high um Mm. so i like trying to take advantage of that yeah that makes perfect sense so Positioning-wise, would you say that you are more looking to denial or aggro? So, uh, again, I mean, we've been talking about denial and aggro quite a lot, so it's probably worth giving a bit of a definition, at least the way we're discussing it in regards to these kinds of episodes. When we talk about denial, we are talking about a list that is more focused on stopping your opponents from doing what they want to do than doing what you want to do. Essentially, you win by disrupting your opponent. Whereas aggro is, 
usually involved more in melee lists where you run towards your opponents and be as aggressive as possible, mainly because your main focus is to do what you want to do rather than limiting your opponent. So with the so with that kind of definition, would you say that you are still looking at the kind of semi-denial, semi-aggro kind of midway point? Yeah, I think this mission sort of focus it, it, it sort of necessitates me moving forward because otherwise I'm never going to get in range. Um, yeah, there's just so much more ground to cover. Um, so, like it, we return to the what looks good for me if I'm able to pull somebody into the middle, so it, it halves the distance I have to go. Um, that's a good game for me. Um, and the the points you get from the control objectives aren't really enough to just sit and sit and wait. Um, I sort of need to, as Jake said, keep moving towards my opponent to, to try to get my points worth to win the game. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. All right, so I suppose that my aim for round one on this mission is pretty, it's pretty simple. I mean, essentially just like the others, because I have more, I have Bosk, they are relatively close range figures, I just want to move up. So whilst usually I would be looking for a more denial style play, I don't really think you can with a more close range list on this mission, or on this map even. So I think you have to run a little bit closer towards your opponent. Tempo-wise, again, just kind of, uh, just like Morgan said, the kind of cat-like pounce, where you make sure that you don't take any damage until you decide that now the combat is going to start. If you play the game in your opponent's terms, you're probably not going to have a very good game with this list because of how your line ambush goes. The line ambush is very interesting because with this list, I cannot really pounce in in round two like I would normally want to. So I usually lose my trend oceans on this map, which is unfortunate. But so essentially the play with trend oceans is make sure that they get their value out. Just try and kill something. Whereas otherwise I might be trying to suppress something by, you know, give out some bleeds or something, but how, you know, give myself focuses. Now I'm just really looking for pure jacker, just do as much damage as quickly as I can, because I know I'm going to lose them and I'm losing nine points and it's painful. So just got to make sure that I get some kind of value. Even if they don't kill something, make sure that that Maul and Bosk can mop up well enough. Um, as for objectives... Taking hold is very simple. I'm, I'm running towards my opponent because I want to fight them. And if I can take objectives on the way, great. If not, I don't really care. Um, as for the Senator one, I usually send my Salacious to escort um, the Senator because it doesn't really sacrifice any of my units. Because Salacious is not going to do what he wants to do on this map. The map is way too big for a slow figure like Salacious to be able to do his cripple or stuff like that. It's, it's just not really going to happen. So I'm really hoping to draw a cripple with black market so I can just get two free points. Um, but Salacious escorting the, the senators does help a lot as I can still keep a Jawa on the terminal and I can still send all my figures up to do their work. So I'm not really sacrificing anything in that way. But interestingly enough, I do get points for killing my opponent's senators because I have Jawa. So that does give me a, sl a little more incentive to actually do it to my opponents. I mean, again... Woohoo! One more point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, sometimes that point does matter. Um, it's not something I'll always do. I mean, like uh, Jake and Morgan said, it really does depend. And I think everything said in these kinds of episodes shouldn't be taken with a grain of salt. But you, you know, you should just keep in mind that there, it, Imperial Assault is too intricate of a game that you can't really say, "Oh, well, you just always do this." 
No, every game is different. Every game is going to have its subtle differences and it's going to have intricacies which you can't use. You can't just do the most expected thing to do well. Sometimes you have to go the unexpected route. But yeah, so any final thoughts on this map? I, I think it's very interesting. It, it, it's a lot more fun to think about than the ISP one because obviously as it is so much longer, you are on the back foot against other kind of ranged lists. Yes, I got lucky in my uh, matches on this map during the VST, where the first match, the first match was against a uh, a swarm list, which, as I said in the beginning, is a is a very good matchup for me. Then the second one, I got lucky. Uh, I probably should have lost that game against Kyle with his saboteurs uh, stunning me all day long, uh, but I didn't because of some lucky defense rolls. I do think this map being in rotation is definitely like this is the worst map in rotation right now for uh, for my Thrawn Red Savers list, which uh, I'm not sure I'm going to be playing anymore because I've had my jollies with it. I'm going to start looking into other stuff for the January tournaments, but yeah. this map definitely isn't helping the the cause. Yeah, I I appreciate it from a um, this is a different list uh, or sorry, this is a different map than what we have. Uh, it's good to have a long range after what has been a long time having nothing but close range maps in the meta. Um, yeah, yeah. So, like from that point, like I appreciate it, but yeah, like like Jake said, I always I always feel like I have to play better than my opponent to win on this map. Um, with with my list, uh, which is not always the case in other maps. Like uh, the list is strong, and I can sometimes be afforded a few mistakes. If I make a mistake on this map, it's just like, well, like three quarters of my list is useless or, um, or like I'm, I'm, I'm playing on the back foot basically. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Endor rotating out and this one, and then the chopper base map rotating in, it makes me want to play hard ranges again. And I actually have, I, I've uh, run it in the, I think it's the best pin trials. This, uh, approved, this approved season, uh, league, and it is very, very fun. I mean, as everyone who listens to this know, I love on ranges. I, it's my favorite list. I've run them for a long time, but I haven't really run them in ICP much because one, you know, it's it is fun to play different archetypes, but also two, the maps just hasn't really been great. Uh, we've had course and back alleys, which is possible to play hard ranges on, but it's so difficult. Uh, and we have Endor, which is disgusting. It's it's awful. I, I I hate that map, <laughs> um, but with uh, now some more longer ranged maps and rotation. Even though we do still have ISP, which is relatively close ranged, I think snipers are very very viable. So I I think this map rotating in is ultimately very good for the game and healthy because we've had we've had a period of I mean just like Morgan said a lot of close ranged maps, which is fun, but eventually things get too stale. Just like having too many long range maps for too long would be. Alrighty, well, on to the final part of the episode then, before we wrap on out. Advice for new players. Is there anything you would do to change the list to make it more beginner-friendly? Is there anything about the list which you think is a little tricky to get used to, perhaps, for a newer player, or which is added, really, as a way to mess other high-tier players up in a way which a newer player might struggle to understand the idea of. Jake? Well, my list is a modified, well, is a version of VPT, Vader Palp Thrawn, 
which is already known as a very as a very skill testing list to play. So I would say that if you want to uh, run a list like this uh, using Maul and Vader together, I would recommend uh, I would probably recommend dropping Thrawn and Palpatine and getting some jet troopers in there because uh, because that not only makes your because uh, jet troopers are a pretty forgiving unit for newer players, but they also uh, play very well with the Thrawn and or with the Vader and Maul game plan of moving forward and making a lot of attacks. So I think that that uh, it it would I think it would be overall a slightly worse list, but much more accessible for newer players, which would then give them the oppor- which would then give you the opportunity to uh, get your practice in with Maul and Vader, learn how to use them correctly, which positioning is very important with them, but in a much more forgiving environment than uh, VPT, where if you lose one of your figures without getting your uh, points worth out of them, you're very you have a very uh, uphill battle after that point. Yeah, I'd probably say that my list is, I mean, any melee list is going to be a little bit harder uh, just because positioning is the difference between life or death. As Jake said, it's not super forgiving. Um, if you misposition your, your Vader or your Maul, uh, or in my case, your, your um, Shyla. Um, that said, uh, I feel like um, in general, because they're beefier than, say, like if you're playing like uh, maybe like a Jared or a Ahsoka, you can generally count on not having your figures die in one attack. So it does make it a little bit more forgiving. Um, but yeah, being able to count spaces and, and understand when your opponent's figures are vulnerable is something that takes practice. Um, and so... I guess my advice for new players would be if you're going to play a list, any melee list, but specifically one with figures that can make use of, of pull and push to just get in the habit of counting how many squares you, your figures need to be from theirs in order to take advantage, to pounce on them. I like that a lot. I think that's very well put on both of you. So I think for my list, it, it's odd. I think out of all of the three lists, I would probably say that mine is the most... Basically, it's got the most weird things in there. Essentially, Jabba isn't really a figure I would say that is very straightforward to play. I mean, because those six points, you can really be getting something else for those six points. Um, Greedo, you know, is good. So ultimately, I think I would probably say drop Greedo, Drop Java, drop Salacious. Uh, Salacious is, um, you know, just a just a fun thing for Cripple, but there are better one points to spend out there, definitely. So drop Salacious, drop Java, drop Salacious, and then that leaves you with eleven points. For those eleven points, spend one to upgrade uh, the regular Jawa to an Elite Jawa, then use two points to pull in C3PO, and then spend eight points to put to give yourself a second set of Trend Oceans. That'll give you more bang for your buck. It'll give you a little more, a lot more damage output. But ultimately, I think it will be, I think it still works, but I don't think it would be quite as good as having the more elite style of having Jabba get the more attacks out, be have your attacks do more, and having the unlimited focus range. I think it's both very, very good. But I think just having more Trend Oceans on the board is probably going to be easier for a newer player. It's probably what I would say. Well, righty. Well, before we wrap things up completely, 
Jake, do you have any final closing thoughts? Kenobi! <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> and, uh, and how about you, Morgan? <laughs> no, I can't. can't beat that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm kind of at a loss for words, too. That's... Uh... <laughs> there's not much to say past that uh, except of course I want to thank both of you and Kyle even though we couldn't make the end for coming on, really appreciate it and I think it's been a really good discussion and I would encourage everyone listening to this uh, if you agree that Maul is too powerful and has to be nerfed or if you think that Maul is balanced or if you're just not sure and want to see more information come out be sure to talk about it in the Zion's Finest Slack channel or the Discord channel, and we can have a look and see what the community is saying. Again, as a disclaimer, neither me or Jake represent the overall views of the committee, nor are we even specifically saying that we are talking about nothing more at the moment. These are just our own opinions that naturally came out from an episode where we sp- talk about more. As, you know, regardless if he's broken or not, he has won most of the big events, or all of the big events that just came out, and it's worth it's worth talking about uh, characters with a critical eye. Surprise! I'm opinionated. Uh, so yeah, exactly. All opinions are our own. Uh, we do, uh, and so we'd love to hear your opinions uh, that are your own as well, uh, listeners. So uh, hop on to those uh, to the Zion's Finest Slack. Hop on to the Facebook page. Hop on to the Discord, and let us know what you think of Maul. Exactly. Uh, yep. So, Jake, thank you for coming back onto the podcast. Morgan, thank you for making your debut here on the podcast. And to all of our listeners, we would like to wish you a very merry Christmas and a happy New Year as we enter the as we exit this year, which has been controversial to say the least. Uh, it's it's been a big year. Let's hope that twenty twenty one is a good one. And with that, I hope everyone has a good time, and we will see you in the next one. Bye-bye. See ya. Goodbye, everyone.